Harbor Church fam. My name is John, one of the pastors from Harbor Nu'uanu. So excited to be sharing God's Word this morning with you. Feel free to open up your Bibles or open up your phones if you've got your Bible on your Bible app. If you don't have a Bible, no worries. We've got Bibles all around the room under the chairs. And if you're using that hardback Bible, it's on page 1089. We're just going to jump right into Revelation chapter 2 this morning as we continue our series in the book of Revelation. We celebrate the victory that Jesus has won for for us. And in chapters 2 and 3, what we're going to be looking at the next two weeks is Jesus' letters, messages to seven distinct churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and he's got a message for each one of them. And as I was reading through this chapter, I was thinking through, wow, like what it must have been like to be living in, 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 in this time in one of these churches, and knowing that these churches were going through some pretty intense uh, persecution from the hands of the Roman Empire. They were going through uh, issues even within their own churches where there was a lot of false teachings, uh, distorting the gospel, just seeping into their churches. So they're having to put out fires even within their own congregation. And then some churches were just barely hanging on, maybe not even knowing whether or not they would exist in the next uh, year. And so I can imagine just being in one of these churches and then hearing, wow, Jesus has a message for me, for my church, and how strengthening and comforting that must have been to know that Jesus himself was delivering words to them. Well, here's the thing, is this, these letters that we're going to be reading, they're not only for these seven churches existing 2,000 years ago. These letters are also for us, for all of the churches that have existed. And so this letter is for us to hear and to respond. We need to hear these letters just as much as these seven churches did 2,000 years ago. In chapter 1, we're encouraged by, by who Jesus is. He is our conqueror. He's the victorious one who defeated sin, Satan, and death. And now in chapter 2, we're going to look at what does it look like then, now that we, the church, experience this victory, because we're connected to Jesus, what does it look like to live out this victory in our everyday lives. So we're going to journey through four specific churches this morning. So let's just get right in to the first church in, in uh, Ephesus, which is the largest city out of the seven that are going to be mentioned with about a quarter million people. Let's go ahead and read chapter, one, verse, chapter 2, verse 1. It reads, Write to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your endurance, and you cannot tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name and have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet you do have this. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen 
to what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who, over, who conquers, I will give the right to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So this church in, in, in this large city must have felt just small and vulnerable. And in this letter, Jesus is reminding them that, that he is the one who is with them. He walks among the churches. And this, this church is doing a lot of good things for God, for Jesus. They were working hard for him. They were enduring suffering. They were very sharp theologically. They were able to distinguish what is the true gospel from what is false gospel. They hated the practices of the Nicolaitans. We don't know too much about them. It's kind of debatable. But we do know that, that these, these people were spreading false teachings in the church. After commending their strength, so Jesus addresses where they were falling short, where they were missing it. They left the love that they had at first. See, they were loving Jesus in, in various ways, working hard, enduring, holding on to good teaching. But what it seemed to be is they left their love for one another. Now, they weren't loving God through their love for one another. If we read the Gospel of John and his letters, right, what really impressed upon his heart was Jesus' teaching to love one another as Jesus has loved us. In fact, in his letters, John, John would write that the evidence that a person is truly a child of God is they love their brothers and sisters in the faith. That to love God looks like loving our brothers and sisters. And this church seemed to be doing so many things right, but they seemed to grow cold in their love for one another. This theme seemed to really stick with John, not only in his letters, but uh, the ancient church father named Jerome. He writes about this story about John. Whether it's true or not, we can't verify. But Jerome would write that John, when he was very elderly, he used to be carried around to church. And when he got to church, the people would want to hear him speak because he's one of the last remaining people that have seen Jesus face to face and have heard Jesus teach. So they would want him to talk. And when John was frail and old, he couldn't talk too much. So every time he was asked to preach, he would say something very simple. All he would say is, little children, love one another. And that's it, according to Jerome. Now, he kept saying this over and over again. Uh, and imagine that, right? Coming to church and hearing a sermon, and the, and, the, and the speaker just says the same thing, same sermon, same illustration. Oh, I heard that a hundred times. And so some people in the, in, in the crowd got kind of irritated about it. And so they asked John, John, why are you saying the same thing over and over? We heard this already. And here's what John told them. He said, because it is the Lord's commandment. And if it alone is kept, it is sufficient. Sufficient. See, the church of Ephesus had this love for one another at first. That's how they were loving God but it grew cold. Maybe that's been the experience for many of us when we first started attending the church, first started to really get involved in, in getting to know other people in the faith. That We were super excited to attend a Sunday morning because we would see people and be able to pray for other people and hear about how their lives are going. Maybe we, we had a point in time where we were so excited to attend community group because we just couldn't wait to encourage and be encouraged by other brothers and sisters. And maybe that enthusiasm 
has gone cold. Where now we maybe keep other Christians at an arm's distance. Maybe for some of us, right, we've been betrayed or let down by other Christians. And because of that hurt, we just don't want to experience that again. And so we kind of keep other Christians out of our lives, kind of giving surface knowledge to them, but not really sharing what's really burdening our hearts. Maybe we used to have a deep affection and care for each other, but it's replaced by apathy, maybe bitterness and even pride. Maybe we can recite a hundred verses from the Bible from memory, but we really couldn't say one need that someone in our community group has. See, the church of Ephesus, they had good Bible knowledge. They were sharp theologically, but they didn't live out the teachings of Jesus. And Jesus is calling the church to return to the love that they had at first, to love one another. Well, how? Right? To remember. Remember that height from which they fall. And remember how good it was to love other Christians and to be loved by other Christians. And how eager we were at the beginning to serve anyone who had a need. Remember the love that Christ has for us, that when we were distant and far off, he came to us and rescued us and adopted us into his family. To love one another. And the promise to those who overcome, Jesus says they will eat from the tree of life. And that takes us back all the way to Genesis chapter 1, right? And 2. That tree of life. They will enjoy eternity with Jesus forever. For those who are truly his, who truly love one another. The evidence that a person is a child of God. So church, let's, by God's grace, love one another as Jesus has loved us. Going on from Ephesus, we look at the church in Smyrna. This city was destroyed before John's day, about 600 B.C., and it was rebuilt to something even more beautiful. In fact, this, this uh, city, Smyrna, was so beautiful that it was called the first in Asia during that time. Let's go ahead and read about this church in verse 8. Write to the angel of the church in Smyrna. Thus says the first and the last, the one who was dead and came to life. I know your affliction and poverty, but you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will experience affliction for 10 days. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches, the one who conquers will never be harmed by the second death. This church in Smyrna was experiencing great persecution and suffering, and they need to hear that Jesus is the first and the last. He is sovereign over the beginning of their lives and all the way to the end of their lives. He's sovereign from the beginning of history to the end, that Jesus is on the throne even though they're going through suffering. They needed to remember that Jesus was once died and he came alive. Much like the city of Smyrna, which was burned down and rebuilt, Jesus died and is alive again. And this truth of the resurrection is what this church needed to hear because some of them would die a martyr's death. They would die for their faith in Jesus. And they need to be reminded that death is just an entrance to eternity with the Lord. And so he encouraged them to 
not fear the suffering. He gave no rebuke to them, but he, he told them, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Because Satan was there. Satan's throne was in this city. I try to think about this. Whoa, that's, that's, that's pretty intense. Right? Imagine living in this city at this time and hearing these words. Right? And a visitor would have come up to you and say, hey, guess what? Guess who moved into my neighborhood? Bruno Mars moved into my neighborhood, man. It's so awesome. Timmy Chang is next door to me. Oh, that's so great. What about you? Oh, Satan. That's who's in my city. Satan. So I'm trying to imagine, whoa, what they must have felt when they heard these words from Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean that Satan like rented an apartment in this city. Right? But he was, he was active in this city. Jesus could have been referring to the, the, this, uh, this Greek god uh, that, that is in the image of a snake. And so, um, because in the Bible, uh, Satan is often referred to as a serpent, that could have been what Jesus was alluding to. But in any case, Satan was active and persecuting the Christians in the church of Smyrna. And Jesus is telling them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Maybe we read this, right, in a context where we don't experience this type of suffering. We think, man, can I do that? Can I endure this kind of persecution? Gosh, I don't know if I could. Like these people were laying down their lives literally for the gospel. And Jesus has words of encouragement for this church. Right? We not, might not be experiencing this type of suffering, but maybe right now we're, we're struggling with sharing Jesus to people in our workplace or people in our school, and we're afraid of what they might think about us, how they might react. Maybe we're struggling with, with a decision at work that we know... You know, if we don't go through it, and we know it's not a good decision, it's not a moral, it doesn't honor God, but yet the people in our workplace are going to pressure us and look down on us if we don't do it, so we, we feel like we might experience some suffering for standing for, for what Jesus honors. Maybe we've been intimidated by that, that suffering that we might face. Well, here's how Jesus encourages the church. First, they're to know that Jesus is right there. He sees their suffering just like he sees us in our circumstances. God is not distant or far away. He is right there and he knows what we're going through. But not only that, he is sovereign over the source of our suffering. Here for the church, it's, it's Satan. Right? He's going to test them for 10 days, this short period of time. Right? Satan couldn't have full reign. We know, we know that from the book of Job in the Old Testament, that Satan couldn't do anything as far as persecuting Job apart from God allowing him to. So even our suffering, our loving God, right, is sovereign over it all. But not only that, he has purpose in our suffering. He has purpose. It's not for, 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 it's not for none. The book of James in chapter 1 tells us that all of our trials, all of our suffering, God uses it to shape us to be more like Jesus. So whatever you're going through that's difficult and hard, God's using that. It's purposeful to make us more like Jesus. And then Jesus reminds the church of the hope that they have, that they will not be harmed by the second death in verse 11. They will not face eternal judgment because they are his. So even though some of them will die at the hands of persecution, that death will lead them not to eternal judgment, but into the presence of Jesus because of their faith in him. And we can encourage each other when we go through times of suffering, just like this church did. 
Now we're going to combine these next two um, churches together. Let's go ahead and read on verse 12 with the, the letter to the church in Pergamum. It reads, Write to the angel of the church in Pergamum. Thus says the one who has a sharp, double-edged sword, I know where you live, where Satan's throne is, yet you are holding out onto my name and do not deny your faith to me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who has put to death among you where Satan lives. Here's where Satan lives. Sorry about that. Verse 14, But I have a few things against you. You have some who uh, hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to place a stumbling block in front of the Israelites to eat meat, sacrifice to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. In the same way, you also have those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. So repent, otherwise I'll come to you quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Let anyone who has ears to listen to what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name is inscribed that no one knows except the one who receives it. This church in Pergamum, it's the capital of the Roman province of Asia. It was the first city to build a temple uh, to Caesar. And so this, this city, which this church was in, was a major political and religious center. And so you could just feel the pressure, if you're a Christian, to worship the emperor as well as the, the gods if you're living here. The persecution was so intense that a Christian named Antipas was put to death for his faith in Jesus. For his faith in Jesus. Now, this church was experiencing that temptation to compromise. To say, you know what, I don't want to face persecution. I don't want to face the hardship of living here, being pressured to worship these gods. So I'll just compromise by worshiping these other gods along with Jesus. There's also the issue of false teachings with, with um, Balaam, who was this Old Testament false prophet who led Israel astray. There was also the Nicolaitans. We don't know too much about them, but they too were introducing false teachings in the church, and they were being pressured to compromise. Just like Pergamum, Thyatira experienced that as well. Except it wasn't Balaam, it wasn't the Nicolaitans per se. The focus was mainly on this woman named Jezebel. Let's look at verse 18. It reads, Write to the angel of the church in Thyatira. Thus says the Son of God, who... Uh, the one whose eyes are like a fiery flame, whose feet are like fine bronze. I know your works, your love, faithfulness, service, and endurance. I know that your last works are greater than the first. But I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and teaches and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to re repent of her sexual immorality. Look, I'll throw her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great affliction, unless they repent of her works. I will strike her children dead, Then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts, and I will give to each of you according to your works. I say to the rest of you in, in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who haven't known the so-called secrets of Satan, as they say, I am not putting any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. The one who conquers, the one who keeps my works to the end, I will give him authority over the nations, and he will rule them with an iron scepter. He will shatter them like pottery, just as I have received this from my Father. I will also give him the morning star. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the church, the Spirit says to the churches. Says to the churches. 
this church in Thyatira, living in this city, which is well known for their trade, for trade. It was normally sectioned off the city in, into different groups called guilds. And so if you're living there and you're working in, in, in one of the trades, so like cloth or whatnot, you have to join a guild, a group. And in this guild, you'd also be required to worship a particular god of that guild. And so what they would do is they would oftentimes have celebrations and feasts and parties where they'd get together in these groups, in these guilds, and worship the gods. There'd also be just sexual practices that went on. And so the Christians living in cities like these were tempted to join. And it seemed like this woman Jezebel was encouraging that. Now, her name probably wasn't Jezebel, because, you know, if you're in church and you're like, well, this woman Jezebel wants to be in the prophecy ministry. I don't know. Her name's Jezebel, right? This Old Testament villain, right? So it probably represented just a, a woman who was leading some in the church astray, letting them get involved in these practices because there was pressure that the Christians felt to join it because if you wanted to benefit through networking, through your business, you'd, you'd join these guilds. That's how you, you, you make your money. If you, if you wanted to build relationships, you went to these feasts that worship these gods. If you wanted to be accepted by the community at large and not experience persecution, you would join in the worship of these gods. And so there was a pressure to compromise our faith in Jesus. What victory looks like for his church is God empowers us to, to live in a way that's uncompromising in our love for Christ. Now, me for us, we're not tempted uh, to worship these Greek gods. Right? That's not something that we're dealing with, but maybe we're tempted to compromise our love for Jesus by worshiping power and respect. And we're tempted at the workplace or at school to cheat, to do something illegal, to do something immoral because it, it fills that need to have power. And, and that's, that might be the idol that we worship. We might not be tempted to join one of these feasts, but maybe we're tempted to do whatever it takes to be accepted by somebody in our lives. Maybe for some of us, we're dating, right? And we're willing to compromise and, and do things that we know that Jesus doesn't honor in order for that person to still love us because we worship acceptance from that person. We, we may not be tempted to eat meat, sacrifice to idols, and celebrate in these pagan feasts, but maybe we're, we're, we're tempted in other ways. Maybe we're tempted to worship on the altar of academics and sports. Maybe as parents, right? We're, we're tempted to, to make these things the utmost priority in our lives to our children. See, academics and sports are good and can be good gifts from God where we can honor him and serve him in, and it can be a platform to share the love of Jesus. But I know even for me, just that, that the temptation of compromising my own heart to, to live vicariously through my children so that I can have respect and attention and honor through their pursuits of academics and sports because we feel that pressure, right? That if we don't make academics the number one thing in life, then what kind of a parent am I? We feel that pressure even in sports that, man, if my kid is not the next Tua, he's not the next Colton Wong, the next Michelle Wee, then I'm doing parenting wrong. And so I need to do everything that I can 
to live through my children, to gain respect from other people. There are many things right, that can pull us in different directions in order to compromise our love for Jesus. Just like this church. And Jesus called the church to repent, to turn back to him, because he has something better for us. The blessings that he has for us is eternal, while the things and the idols that we pursue for ourselves is temporary. Jesus promises and tells the church in verse 17. Let's look there. To the one who conquers, I'll give some of the hidden manna. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says that he is the bread. He is that manna that came down from heaven. That we don't need to pursue all these empty idols because we have Jesus, who is enough. Jesus says that I will give them a white stone, a stone, uh, a, a new name that's inscribed on it that no one knows except the one who receives it. Now, can you imagine that, right? For those of us who are already shopping for Christmas, I know some of us are already shopping for Christmas, and then you get that family member a gift, he says, here, you open it up, it's a white stone. Awesome. But your name's on it. Your name's on it. That is awesome. Now, what's going on with that? Well, see, in, in, in places like Pergamon and Thyatira, right, in these cities and in, in the guilds that they were in, if you wanted to be invited to a party, a feast, you weren't given something in the, in, in the mail, like a letter. You weren't given an evite to your, 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 your mailbox, your email. Instead, if you were invited to a party, you would be given a white stone that had your name on it. And Jesus is telling the church, I'm going to give you a, a white stone with your name on it. it. It's almost as if, almost as if Jesus is saying, right, that, you know, I know you've been missing out. I know you, you've been trying to not compromise. And you, you, you didn't get involved in these pagan feasts of these other gods. But I have something even better for you. I'm inviting you to the biggest party, my wedding party, which we're going to read about later on in Revelation. You're turning down a little party celebrating a pretend God in order to attend the greatest party for the Son of God. And not only that, you're going to receive a new name, a new identity. Right? He's going to give us a new body that no longer is broken and weak from the effects of sin. He's encouraging the church that they're going to be partying with Jesus for eternity, but not just partying, ruling with Jesus. In verse 26, he promised the church in Thyatira that they will rule alongside Jesus, who is the morning star. It's going to be worth it, he's telling the church. But see, none of us overcome and conquer in our own strength. Jesus is not writing to churches that are perfect, that have their lives put together, but these were messy, broken churches. Some of them were just hanging on. And maybe some of us, we feel like that right now. We feel like we're just hanging on. And our ability to overcome temptation, hardship, suffering, has nothing to do with how strong we are, but it has everything to do with how victorious Jesus is, because we overcome sin. We overcome suffering through Jesus, because he already defeated Satan, sin, and death on our behalf. And through Jesus' death, through faith in him, we are joined to 
that victory, and he's now empowering us to live out this victory now. Where we were maybe fearful in the midst of suffering, Jesus endured on our behalf. Where we were living lives of compromise and worshiping of other idols, Jesus perfectly obeyed the Father. Where we were not loving one another genuinely as Jesus has loved us, Jesus loved us to the very end and laid down his life for us. And now he empowers us through the Holy Spirit to live out this victory that he has secured for us. So let's continue to celebrate that this morning, that he has overcome and is now empowering us to live lives that overcome. Let's go ahead and pray together. Father, we thank you for Jesus, who lived the perfect life in obedience to the Father that we could never live, who died the death on the cross that we deserve for every time we did not love one another as you have loved us, every time we were fearful instead of faithful, every time we worshipped other idols in our lives, Jesus died on the cross for us. And we celebrate that victory that he has through his death, through his resurrection. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.